You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace Community Church. If you're here for the first time, thank you so much. We've got a lot going on, as you can see. I, I just want you to know, if you're here for the first time, this is the time that we usually dismiss children for Children's Church. They are with us in June, all of the children, um, except for the infants and toddlers. So just to let you know what our schedule normally is. And if you're here for the first time, you'll be interested in knowing that last week we finished a five-week series in the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. And you might think that sounds like something you would say when you're sneezing, you know. It, but it's, it's an important, it's a very short, important three-chapter book in which words such as violence and judgment and devastation are plentiful. Habakkuk moved in the beginning from complaining to God about the sins of the land and saying, why don't you do something to be an astonished when God said, oh, I'm doing something. I'm raising up Babylon to the place of trusting the Lord, even though he was terrified of the judgment that was to come upon the land. So how are we in these New Testament days to respond to such a message from the Old Testament? Habakkuk's hope was that God would not allow the nation of Israel to die out and would eventually punish the Babylonians for their treatment of the Israelis, the Judeans. If you think narrowly, narrowly and inwardly, as most of us would when, when <laughs> devastation is coming, such a conclusion would be very little comfort to you. Well, the Lord's going to keep... Israel as a nation secure, even though I'm going to suffer along with everyone in my family. Habakkuk was able to look beyond his own interest and to understand and trust that God was doing what was best. That alone would be good instruction for us, but we have so much a so much better perspective than Habakkuk had. And we're given much more information on what God is doing in the world and why trials are necessary, uh, sometimes necessary to conform us into the image of Christ, which is his goal for all believers, is that we would become like Christ. Now, don't read too much into the statement that we know a whole lot more about what God is doing in the world. We'll be talking about this as we go. And by the way, I plan to start, um, Daniel, in a couple of weeks, had a request from at least one home group leader, and in consultation with the elders, or most of the elders, I've decided to hold off until after Labor Day. And that'll be good when the students are back and we can uh, talk about uh, Daniel and the lion's den and um, Shadrach, Meshach, and, and Abednego, all of the trials that they went through, because they apply to all of us, or the lessons that we learn from them apply to all of us. But we'll keep talking in one way or another about eschatology through the summer, the study of last things. For the next two weeks, we're going to be in Romans 5 and 8. 
where the Holy Spirit will apply salve to the wound that may have opened up in our hearts through reading Habakkuk. Um, If Habakkuk prepared us for the possibility of persecution for God's children, then Daniel, when we get to him in, in September, demonstrates how we should live in a godless society in which Christians are disrespected and even persecuted for their faith. This morning's text is Romans 5, verses 1 through 8. And and I pray that even as this text is read, you will find comfort and security and a deep sense of God's love for you and for all who have believed in Jesus as the only hope of forgiveness of sins and of eternal life as has been so beautifully uh, depicted for us already in the Lord's Supper and beautifully described by Neil. So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's word, Romans 5, verses 1 through 8. Therefore, since we, those who have believed, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you and be seated. C.S. Lewis uh, once wrote to Father Peter Bide, an Anglican priest who performed the wedding ceremony for Lewis and Joy Davidman. Lewis said this, we are not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We are wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. I think we get that sense, right? We understand what he's saying. Joy uh, would die a little over a year later, but the, the, the absolute certainty of her end was very poignant to both C.S. Lewis and Joy, his wife, when he wrote those letters. If you have never seen the movie Shadowlands, by the way, then that is a must. You absolutely must. I know it may strain uh, the senses a little to think of Uh, Anthony Hopkins playing C.S. Lewis, but he does a wonderful job. You should see that movie, Shadowlands. I don't see many people writing that down, so I hope you can have a really good memory. When severe trials come into our lives, we might be tempted to assess where God stands with us. or, In other words, what do I think about God? What about this God who is allowing this to happen to me? We might, in fact, like Habakkuk... um, 
not be very happy with his apparent disinterest for our well-being. And we might, in fact, be tempted to accuse and even attack God with our words. So, quick question. How has it been for you when you have attacked and accused God of not caring for you? Exactly. It doesn't stop us from being frustrated, though. Over time, though, when we're really upset with the Lord and like, how could you allow this to happen? What's going on here? Over time, a shift begins to take place and we move from thinking, I'm, I'm just going to have to see where God stands in my thinking to beginning to wonder and assess where we stand in his eyes and with him. Romans 5.1 puts our hearts at rest. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We keep running into the importance of faith. It was all the way through Habakkuk, difficult as that book was. Our faith is not simply a sense that everything will turn out to be okay. It's the belief it's a very committed, strong belief in the promises of God. And if you're thinking, oh, I want to believe God. I just don't know that I can trust. I'm not talking to you. It's just a sense that, yes, I believe what God says. Your doubts are most likely about yourself, not about God. But these verses are going to help us help fortify our faith in him. The word justified is from the Greek word group that is translated often righteous and righteousness in the New Testament. And here it could be, maybe even should be translated, therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans 4.3 we're told that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And all Paul was doing was quoting Genesis 15, 6. And Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham, the, the, the father of the people of God, uh, the one who was called out and saved by the Lord and began... Uh, the line which would give us Jesus and the writers of the New Testament, the Old Testament and the New Testament, both. This Abraham was not saved by his good works. He was saved by believing the promises of God. And what was it that he believed? Romans 4.17, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. I, I don't want you to get lost here. The point that the Apostle Paul was making in Romans chapter 4 was that our relationship with God is not one that we initiate. In other words, we don't say, you know... I believe God exists and therefore I better get my act together if I want to be acceptable to him. No, the opposite is true. God says to us from his word, I sent my son Jesus to die 
for your sins. And when we believed God, or when we believe God, he declares us righteous. Or is it that he declares us righteous and we believe him? Easy answer. Yes. Either way, he makes us alive. Not because we deserved it, but because he loves us and has called us into his family. Have you maybe attempted to design your own salvation? Maybe you've attempted to craft a way that you can be okay when you come to the end of your life. Good news. It's Neil so beautifully articulated. Jesus has already made the design. He's already designed it for you. He's done it on your behalf. In the first four chapters of Romans, the Apostle Paul has shown us that no one can save him or herself. Our sins have made that impossible. But Jesus died in our place according to the Father's plan so that we could be saved. The Father's plan to save us flowed from a deep heart of his love for us. Once again, the depths of God's love for us in Romans 5 verses 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person or a really, really, really good person. Though perhaps for a good person, you know, just a good, good guy, good, good man or woman, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us before we ever did anything that would cause him to say, I like that one right there. That's the one I want. Before any of that, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think of the worst thing that you have ever done to anyone and think of the worst thing that anyone has ever done to you. That's just nothing compared to the offense that we have committed against God with our sins because he's perfect, holy. He created us. We rebelled. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And those who believe have been declared righteous. Back to Romans 5.1, where we understand that because God has declared us righteous, we are now at peace with him. Or more importantly, more importantly he is at peace with us. This is First and foremost, a legal contract, a treaty, a cessation of hostilities. No longer are we enemies of God, but no longer is he our enemy either. Why? Because I've cleaned up my act? No. Because God said that I am alive in Jesus and I believe it. Now, don't think of this piece as strictly... In legal terms, though, think of it 
like the joyous celebrations that you saw at the end of World War II. You remember those pictures? People are just so excited at the end of, of World War II. That's the kind of joyful peace that is ours in Christ. It is not at all like the assurance that Habakkuk had. No wonder the author of Hebrews said that we have a better hope than those in the Old Testament had. Jesus is a guarantor of a better covenant. When Habakkuk wrote his prophecy, the people of Judah were about 10 to 15 years away from severe oppression at the hands of Babylon. When Paul wrote to the Romans, the believers in Rome were about 10 to 15 years away from severe persecution from the Roman government. But look at the difference Jesus makes in the response of those of us who know Christ. And Habakkuk 3.16, do you remember this last week? When he finally settled in his heart and mind, this is what God's doing, it's the right thing. He said, I hear, I hear the word of the Lord, and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. But then in Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The good news for, for believers does not end with our assurance of heaven, as wonderful as it is. Romans 5, 2 assures us that faith has also been granted to us for access into the Father's presence where we bask in his approval. Furthermore, we always have access to the Father through Jesus. Under the old covenant, the high priest would serve once a year when he would go behind the curtain into the presence of the Lord. And buddy, he had better have confessed all of his sins and he better do everything exactly right or he was in trouble. But now... We have access anytime into the very throne room of God. And it, you know, you'll never have one of the angels come back to you with your card and say, I'm sorry, access was denied. You know, you're, 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 not, you're not allowed in. There's never going to be that kind of bad news. This access is not to be taken for granted Ever. But we rejoice or boast as those who are blessed to know and appreciate God's glory rather than being destroyed by it. That's cause for celebration, don't you think? Yes, rejoice in the relationship you have with the Lord because of Jesus. And while you're rejoicing... Rejoice with the same intensity in your sufferings. Rejoice in your salvation. Rejoice in the grace that it grants you access. And rejoice in your sufferings. 
Wait, what? Rejoice in your sufferings? I'm sorry, that didn't work as well as I thought it would. Take it off. <laughs> in fact, I was going to apologize anyway. I don't need to do it. Rejoicing is not our first impulse when trials suddenly appear. It usually is sadness and worry. That was certainly Habakkuk's response. It was not Paul's response, though. The suffering that Paul references here is not only persecution for one's faith, but it encompasses all varieties of suffering. As Lee mentioned in our, our prayer time this morning, this has been, these last few weeks have been devastating for many in our church family. Four people, three members, one who is very closely, may as well be a member, who lives in another place but stays connected with our home group, Pat Wilson, who used to, was married uh, to Phil Wilson, one of the founding members of Community Church. Um, four people have had a relative found dead unexpectedly, just out of the blue. At least two more, including Lee's mother, have lost people who are very dear to them or family members like Scott Colbreth, Jackson that we prayed for, out of the blue. So what is this text saying? Is it saying to give thanks for all, rejoice in all these things? It's not saying rejoice that these things happen, but it's saying that there is a comfort in our hearts knowing that we belong to Christ that gives us joy even when trials of this magnitude hit us. When we lose loved ones or we are diagnosed with a disease that will greatly affect our lives, then we have to do business with our own mortality, don't we? It's another thing we've seen over and over. Alice and I have seen people who all of a sudden, when faced with their mortality, are all of a sudden much more aware of the spiritual things around them. We can rejoice, not only because we have a home in heaven, but because the trials that we would do without if it were up to us. Not only are working God's purposes and design for his glory, but also for our benefit. Verses 3 to 5 are written in the context of the end of verse 2. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And then he talks about our sufferings. Glory and suffering are linked everywhere in the New Testament. One of the reasons that we rejoice is we know that when we suffer well, the Holy Spirit is at work building into us discipline, endurance, and endurance. And it's much like exercise. Look, you might not enjoy the pain that comes with some exercise, uh, but you recognize that you are building for the true test of strength and athletic prowess that will occur in a future contest. But don't suppose that a relatively minor uh, suffering point of suffering in your life is pointing to something big down the road. It's been my 
experience that the Lord does not work that way. That he doesn't say, well, you better get ready for what's coming. I'm just going to give you a little taste along the way. And then you can really see what's happening. We don't get to know when the trials are coming often. Sometimes we see things building, but a lot of things happen just like. This is, I just mentioned six people. Who out of the blue. Someone didn't wake up. Or someone found out they had cancer and two weeks later, gone. It's been that year for a lot of us. The whole year's been like that for a lot of people. So we don't always know when bad things are coming our way. But we know that the Lord has prepared us. By giving us Jesus and giving us access into the grace. And now he's explaining how these trials work to our benefit. Endurance is a necessary ingredient for a life well lived. Anyone can be all in when things go well. And then bail when the circumstances or relationships become uncomfortable. Michael Middendorf says, patient endurance is to stay standing there in the midst of pressures pushing in various other directions or trying to knock us down. That's what he's talking about here. That kind of endurance, suffering helps produce endurance. And I know you've seen it happen to you. I, I surely have. I'm thinking, I don't see how any good can come out of this at all. And I'm hating this and I may hate it for months. But over time... I don't even realize that I'm more patient, that I have more character, that the Lord is working in ways in my life that I couldn't have gotten to this place without the suffering. From our study in Habakkuk, we thought a little bit about how nations and empires rise and fall. Discipline and endurance are characteristic of nations on the rise. Distraction and softness are characteristic of nations in decline. So where do you think we are as a nation? Now this might surprise you, but the answer to that question is not important at all to us. As believers, as we sit before Romans 5, 1 through 8. Not important at all. What matters is... Are we enduring as followers of Jesus Christ, even when there is much pressure for us to cave to the culture and to seek salvation on our own terms? I'm not saying that we shouldn't care about how the nation goes. Allison and I were watching, maybe you heard about it, we were watching Jeopardy the other night, and the question was, in Matthew 6, 9, I think it is, it says, Jesus said, our Father in heaven... This be your name. And all three of them sat there. Nobody buzzed in. Nobody had any clue that the answer was hallowed or hallowed if you prefer old English. Hallowed be your name. And that was disappointing. That was discouraging. What was more discouraging was the next day to see that people were... Horrified and just, this is disgusting. This makes me sick that people don't know the Bible. Really? Are we, is that who we are? As believers, that it makes us sick 
that other people are sinners just like we are. But now we've been redeemed, and so we've got the right to blast them to high heavens. It's not who God has called us to be. So yes, stand in the culture. Do everything you can politically to help this nation go in the right direction. But in terms of our relationship with God and our standing in the kingdom, it has nothing to do with it. No wonder it's important for us to die to ourselves daily as we take up our crosses and follow Jesus. It's why consistency in the basics that were referred to in last week's sermon means so much in making us more like Jesus. It's a good place to start. As we continue in verse 4, we learn that not only does suffering produce endurance, but endurance produces character. Much like the beauty of a diamond is the result of intense pressure and the purity of gold is refined by the fire, so our patient endurance will lead to tested character. Those who seek their own salvation will be tested and found deficient. Those who are found in Jesus, who through endurance and suffering and endurance that he engineers and energizes, will reflect and radiate the life of Christ through tested character. Not only so, but tested character produces hope, and hope is where we began in the Christian life. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Hope in the New Testament is not, though, an expectation that maybe we'll have good weather. I hope we'll have good weather or I'll pass this test or even my medical results will be better. Hope in the New Testament is more an expectation of the goodness of God, which means that our hope is well-founded. It especially refers to the hope of eternal life, which will become abundantly clear next Sunday morning when we spend time in Romans 8. What does biblical hope do for us? It makes us not ashamed. Paul has already stated that in Romans 1.16. Are you tempted to conceal your love for the Savior? Are you embarrassed in this culture that you love Jesus like you do? Perhaps the Lord will allow you the privilege of suffering, which in turn produces endurance, and endurance will lead to character, and character will produce hope that is not ashamed. How does this happen anyway? By the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us and bathes us in the tender love of the Father on this Father's Day, and the Son Think about that love, the father giving his son. Jesus, who died for us while we were still sinners. Amen. Three closing thoughts, which are just as basic as the list from last week, beginning with preach the gospel to yourself every day. God declared us 
to be righteous. We had no hope of making ourselves acceptable before the holy creator of the universe and the one who created us. Why do we believe in Jesus when so many that we know don't believe? Because God declared us righteous. Preaching the gospel to ourselves every day reminds us of the grace and mercy that is continuously poured out on us. You know the difference between continuously and continually. Continually is ongoing. Continuously is without interruption. You may eat a lot during any one given day, but you don't eat continuously. You may be eating continually all through the day. God's love is poured out on us continuously, without interruption in His grace. Preaching the gospel to ourselves reminds us of two things. First, it reminds us that no matter how down we get on ourselves or how bad our circumstances are, we are blessed with the knowledge of all the treasures of Christ and that they are ours. The riches of heaven are ours simply because God loved us and saved us, unworthy sinners though we were. Second, preaching the gospel to ourselves every day keeps us from getting the big head, reminding us that we are nothing without Jesus. And don't you know that humility keeps us from the horrific consequences of pride? The gospel, preaching the gospel to ourselves keeps us from going on record and saying, I can't believe how stupid these people are about the Bible. I mean, what is that? Preach the gospel to yourself every day. It's such good news. Ought we not to hear it every day? Second, the next time trouble visits, rejoice in the knowledge that God is forming you more into the image of Christ. Do you sometimes or even often pray, Lord, make me like Jesus? When you ask this, do you think of a cross? Or do you think of his gentle ways, his humble ways, his kindness, those kind of things? Look, when you ask to, to be made like Jesus, you're asking for a cross. Do not cease, though, to pray for a likeness of Christ. <clears throat> in addition to the pairing in Scripture of suffering and glory, intimacy with Christ is promised at a different level through our suffering. The next time you, you, are, you feel like you're all alone in your grief and your pain and your hurt, Picture Jesus right beside you, communing with you in a way that you have never known before. You will walk more closely with him after this than you've ever walked before. It is not that he has refused to walk with you in your, until you suffer, because he's been walking the whole time. But in suffering, you are granted by faith vision that was previously clouded and limited. This is cause for rejoicing and boasting, which is what the re word rejoice is talking about as much as anything. It's what Paul had in mind when he wrote Galatians 6.14, which not be a bad life's verse if you're looking for one, by the way. 
But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. We know what is truly best for us, to commit to living as Paul lived, all in and fully his. Suffering has a way of expediting the process, if you will allow it. Boasting in your suffering is to boast in Jesus. Last, rest in God's love for you as though you believe he means what he says about how much he loves you. Quit worrying about whether you deserve eternal life in Jesus or not. You don't. Believe, though, that God loves you, especially you who are doubting your salvation. Did I say it right? I, I don't know. Stop. Believe that God loves you as much that he says that he does. If you will receive his love, it is never more poignant and tender than when you are suffering. Physically, mentally, emotionally, psychologically, doesn't matter. His love is tender for you. How much does God love you? Let's close our time with verses 6 through 8. Once again, ringing in our hearts. The beginning, middle, and end of the sermon. Romans 5, 6 through 8. And if you would just close your eyes while I read this. Just receive God's love for you. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Just stand together, please. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.